Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <coughs> and we... <coughs> Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. With me, Owen Bennett, Ned Simons. Hello. Paul War. Hello. And Kate Forrester. Hello. How are you, Kate? Fine, thanks. Crisps. Hungry. Eating your crisps? No. You're about to eat before we no, start recording? because you've stolen Not them from very me. very professional. Anyway, where else is there to start but with that speech? Yes, on Wednesday, we were all trapped in Theresa May's nightmare as she spluttered, staggered and struggled her way through her keynote address to the Conservative Party conference. Set your toes into the curled position. Here is a clip. Now, if that cough is the defining sound of the 2017 Tory conference, the defining image has to be comedian Simon Brodkin giving Theresa May a P45. Or, perhaps, it was the set falling down behind her. Either way, it wasn't exactly the optics you would want for your key speech. Let's talk about the optics a bit first, uh, people. Just on a scale of one to, oh my god, where was this, Ned? Whatever's above, oh my god, really. I think... One thing that I will never forget is being in the press room when the speech was happening. Or was, I think, Paul, you're in the hall, but the rest of us were in the press room. And when that moment when the, the comedian went up, knowing what was going on, watching the whole massive table of journalists explode up in the air and sprint out of the room, it's something I've never seen during a, <laughs> yeah, a party leader speech before. And that was before all the, other, the coughing even started. Mm. So absolutely extraordinary. It was extraordinary being in there because, um, you know, the, the very first sort of croak and cough people will get there was sort of sense of unease but then when she really did pause there was a guy i overheard a, a local association member who said this is a disaster and he, he said it in a way it sounded neutral but you could read it either way it's a disaster for her but disaster for us as well and that was a sort of we'll come on to this later but a sort of indication that actually despite the massive warmth and goodwill there was in the hall obviously there's a very human reaction by the cabinet most of them led by Amber Rudd and by the, 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 the delegates, there is a sort of undercurrent which is actually, you know, can this be sustainable? I, th- I thought that the Brodkin, I thought the people I think was funny. I know I'm in a minority, but I thought it was a brilliant bit of art. I thought it was a wonderful piece of art. I thought it was a great image. I thought the way he acted on screen, when you see the clips, and that's all that matter, when you see the clips on 10 o'clock news, he got away with it brilliantly because he was in character for the whole time. It is astonishing that he was creeping, the the amount of time he was creeping around, like in front of the cabinet. Exactly. It's not just when he went up to May, but he's afterwards kind of talking to Boris Johnson and Amber Rudd, and he's just totally fine. There's no security dragging him down, or you know, it's yeah. extraordinary. No, I, thought, I, I mean, I know most people think the guy's an idiot, but I thought it was really funny. And I think for Theresa May, I mean, the things that happened aren't you know, arguably aren't her fault. It's not her fault that a comedian got up to her on stage. It's not her fault that she had a cough, and it's not her fault that no. the set collapsed behind her. No. No. But it looks bad because it's just kind of like a, a downward spiral of, of bad luck. And, you know, even if you feel sorry for her, being felt sorry for isn't the position you want to be in if you're Prime Minister, I don't think. No, and I thought the... Co- I mean, like I said, when the coughing started in the, and we were in the press room, just 
It was real heads in hands. It I was, was terrible. I was, ex- I was expecting someone like Damien Green to come and take us a little off and he's a speech for you. Because it was, because obviously we sit there as journalists and we were given the speech as a printout almost as soon as you started speaking. So we could see how much of the yeah. speech was still to go when yeah. she lost her voice. And we God. were thinking, oh my goodness. But I think we can overdo it because although we're amongst this small group of people who watched it in real time and so we know what a sort of awful moment it was looking through your fingers at this sort of excruciating long long sort of nightmare most people have just seen it in a series of clips so what they've seen is a sort of all right she lost her voice she lost her voice once she lost it twice she lost it three times um it there's a sense of unease there but i don't think it's as bad maybe as the as we think it is so i don't know if i necessarily agree actually because i think if most people get their news from TV or the internet, particularly the BBC News website. Now, the top story on the BBC News website last night was a packaged up clip they've done of yeah. all the bad stuff that happened. Yeah. And in, in, in as much as anyone watches or reads the news, if that's the message they're seeing is, here's a list of disasters that happened in her speech, then I think it does cut through as much as any political news story does. Oh, it Anecdotally did. as well, you know, it's just anecdotes, but friends, people messaging me, all saying, you know, how funny it is. People saying we're watching it on the news in a bar and everyone's laughing. If you're, if you're the Prime Minister, you don't want people around the country laughing at you. No, I agree. It's definitely undeniably got cut through. That's the only thing, one of the few things people remember from mm. the entire political year. There's no question. But my point is more that actually, I think we're perhaps, because we're too close to it, I think that we can overdo just how excruciating mm. it was. Um, and also, I think that the, the key point is how she reacts to it now. I mean, the speech is one thing, but, you know, Coming off stage, Robert Peston said that she was in tears with her husband, Philip May, and you number 10 be. immediately denied yeah, that. But she, 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 but I suspect it was very true because she was in tears towards the end of the speech, just as she finished the speech. She was in tears virtually on Ma. Um, there's all sorts of stories about her being in tears often on the night of the election. Again, all human reactions, but... It's not the image you want of a prime minister who's supposed to be in charge and having massive authority. And prime ministers are supposed to be feared at the end of the day. She did do, I mean, you know, for all the, the claims that she, everything's too scripted. Actually, to be fair to her, she she gave a little bit back to the people who fired her. Oh, I thought that Corbyn. was a terrible she, gag. But but everyone's been saying how great her, no, her ad lib was. At least she did ad lib. Yeah, but it didn't make any sense. Uh, I want to give Jeremy Corbyn his P45. No, you don't. You want to keep him in position for the next five no, years. No, you don't, because he nearly won the election. No, he I think... to go. No, but that's the point. You don't say you want to get rid of Jeremy Corbyn if you're the leader of an of a, opposite party. You don't say, I want, to, I want to give him his P45. But she can't think on her feet, can she, really? Well, she did and all right with the lozenge yeah. thing about when Philip Hammond yeah, gave yeah, the no, lozenge. I, th- I thought, that she, wasn't did, bad, I thought yeah. she did okay. Yeah, I mean, for God. Her. Yeah. Let's I mean, talk about... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I feel like I've got PTSD. <laughs> I feel like I have. <laughs> awful. Move on. Let's talk all right. Oh, easy now. <laughs> Sort at your Christmas away. You're getting a bit... <laughs> Listen, how long... Let's right. talk about the policy of the speech, because we were promised, we, it was trailed before the conference started, you know, there'd be a big revolution on tuition fees. We were going to have the house building programme that make Macmillan look rubbish or whatever. And it was neither. I'm sorry, but yeah. this house building thing was... It was not £2 billion for social housing, not even council housing. Can, we talk, can I talk quickly about the tuition fees thing? I thought that Please was do, absolute Ned. madness. The idea yep. that you're, it's a revolution mm. on f- for student fees and for young people, that you're freezing student fees at the level you just put them up to, and that's yeah. going to impress young people. Like, when I, they're being I, promised that Jim Quinn's going to get rid of it. Exactly. Now, what young person who's going <laughs> to vote on that issue, or not even young people, their parents, whoever, is going to oh, great, we'll vote Tory then to keep tuition fees yeah. low. I mean, Nonsense. But I, I, I'd, I'd counter that, actually, because I think, given where they are, 
what they did actually was quite smart. They can't suddenly overnight say we're going to abolish tuition fees. Of course they can't. They can't get into a bidding war with Labour mm. on that. But I think the raising the threshold from 21,000 to 25,000 will have a material impact on people. And if if the rumours are true that they're looking at actually reintroducing maintenance grants, that could be a game changer. Because I think yeah, that is sure. where Labour's policy actually should have been directed and I know quite a few people in the Labour Party think that too in other words instead of talking about fees talk about maintenance grants and talk about not just the interest rates but also the the rate at which you have to pay this back those are practical issues for lots of parents and grandparents mm. who are having to subsidise ch- students to go to university but you're 100% right but surely then you don't focus on the one bit of the policy which just highlights how expensive tuition fees are well if they'd have, if they'd have come out and said we're going to bring up maintenance grants we're going to look in look into doing it that would have been a really good okay look we're not completely copying corbyn we're gonna it's a you know, it's a grown-up way of looking at it but they didn't they pre-briefed it on the tuition fee stuff and it just highlights that you're paying nine thousand fifty pound a year i mean more importantly young tories have now recognized they need to start wearing suits at weekends <laughs> i heard that so many times start in wearing fringe or stop events. wearing stop <laughs> All of the young people I overheard at that conference talking amongst themselves were going, "Yeah, we really, really need to like stop walking around in yeah. ridiculous ties." And in fact, the only people walking stuff. around in ridiculous suits and ties were journalists. There was loads of them in suits. Those are young little. I was reasons. I was wearing trainers. Ah, mm-hmm. where with you about that? Scruff. But I do think that on policy it is important because, and we can maybe talk about this later. But whoever is Tory leader, whether or not she stays for the short term or goes uh, in the long term. Um, policy actually is where the Tories are beginning to be unified. Um, I d- actually think it's a bit like the Labour Party under Blair and Brown. Labour, Blair and Brown didn't have any real policy differences. It was all about personnel and personality. And I think it's the same with the Tories right now. They have to, and they know they have to, talk about tuition fees, housing, um, uh, public sector pay. They have to be on this ground that Corbyn has opened up. They have to. And so, and even on Brexit, they're coming together. They're working out slowly a sort of consensus view on transition, uniting the party. So I think, strangely, the Tories are united on policy. And that vision she set out this in that speech, saying that I'm, my premiership will be defined by housing, whoever is the next Tory leader has to adopt that. It, you know, it's electorally essential. And so what you're left with is a, per- a personality problem. Is her personality too much of a switch off? given that she's made this great big thing about having a presidential uh, campaign in an election, which failed, is is that damage just too long-lasting? And, and will anybody else who replaces her do the, do the business? But you talk about the policy there, and I think you agree on housing, but the housing offer was so weak. Help to buy, which is only going to inflate the market. And then, and then £2 billion for, council, uh, for social housing, for 5000 next extra a year, but we need to be getting 250000 a year. Surely, you, it's all about diagnosing the problem, but if you're giving the wrong medicine, it just highlights the fact yeah, that you're not a very good doctor. I think that if you're... That given... you don't, for, don't forget the two twin constraints of this parliament, which is numbers. In other words, you've got not enough of a parliamentary majority. You, ha- you can't push through lots of really radical things because there might be your own right-wing MPs who, who actually take umbrage at bits of it. So you've got to make sure that the unified party on policies continued. But also, there's not a lot of money around, let's be honest. There really isn't. Um, and well, going into... $10 billion for help to buy. Why not use that for social housing? Yeah, and I think that... that the, the, that balance that, between right. two billion uh, for help t- for for uh, rental and ten billion for help to buy 
that balance will, will have to change over the parliament. There's no question. Because let's be honest, I think house builders see that as a brilliant bung. They, they help to buy. You know, it's fantastic for them. Whereas they see the the other two billion as actually a real threat and challenge to them. Uh, and But I'm convinced that the government are smart enough to try and flip that around. Not least because, as I understand it, Philip Hammond is really, really worried about the housing market collapsing on his watch. And if you do help to buy and you keep inflating the housing market through help to buy uh, you know who knows if it could tip over the edge very quickly ned how long has you got left mm, two years okay Oof, um oh, this is really tough three months <laughs> okay well we think we've got oh, as well by christmas interesting i don't know i would have said before this week definitely 2019 she'll go to but that's not certain at all now it could be it could be next spring after the local and, elections and do you think that if she does go it will be a coronation to replace her I suppose, it has to be yeah i think that it's got to be, be, Amber no, Rudd, be i don't, Amber I don't think the tory party has uh, if you're in power and you're supposed to be treating the country and brexit seriously you can't afford a, a two or three month no. leadership no. contest even if she's the the leader during uh, the leader and prime minister during that contest i, I, I just think it would look so um, irresponsible and frivolous yeah. um, when we're all supposed to be focused on this big project of Brexit. So I think coronation's got to happen. Well, one man who might fancy crack at the top job is, of course, Boris Johnson. The conference was dominated by the Foreign Secretary thanks to an interview he gave to The Sun ahead of the get-together in Manchester in which he set out more of his Brexit red lines. His highly anticipated speech was, in my opinion, a tad underwhelming, but never fear, he managed to make himself centre of attention with this comment at a fringe meeting. There's a group of uh, UK business people, actually, I don't know whether you have come across this wonderful guys. They, they, they literally have got a brilliant vision to turn cert into the next, uh, with, the, with, the work, with the help of the municipalities, to turn it into the next Dubai. The only thing they've got to do is clear the dead bodies. Uh, <laughs> what is he playing at, everyone? I mean, he so, is the foreign secretary. Yeah. Has anyone told him this? So in that in that event, I was in the room. There, yeah, I was yeah. in the room for that event, as were a lot of journalists. And I think what happened was he'd done his big speech on the stage. He was then in this kind of more casual setting. He was getting a lot of laughs from a quite large crowd of conservative members who like the jokes. So he was kind of getting into that mindset. He made that joke and just for- he just forgot that essentially that he's the foreign secretary it's just as he did it in parliament a while ago yeah and he he gets too wrapped up in the i'm everyone's on my side and amazingly earlier on in that event he made a joke about oh are there any journalists in the room and loads of us went yeah so he should have actually listened to the reply Mm. well that's the that's the problem with boris he doesn't listen and i think that um, he just failed that he, to adhere to the golden rule of party conferences, never do a fringe yeah. after your main speech. And the reason for that is, was one old hand told me this week, that you, there's a risk of pissing on your own headlines was the phrase used. So you can disrupt the message that you've just spent weeks trying to craft in your main set piece speech with some ad lib that you couldn't help yourself deliver. But also, there's a sense, the danger of doing it after your speech is that the relief is so huge of getting the speech out of the way that you're susceptible. Basically, I was told it's like bit you're drunk. So you are, you're, you're sort of heady and you go to a fringe and then you just want to kick off and relax. And, you know, someone around him sort of said this was a bad idea, even when it looked it was in the fringe guide. Can we just avoid doing that after your speech? Do do nothing after. But the he speech. does this anyway, whether it's before the speech, during the speech, after the speech. He's, you know, I mean, Eddie Mayer read out on uh, the on Radio Four yesterday a list of all his, you know, quote unquote gaffes slash insults. I mean, 
How long? I mean, we're hearing rumours today as we record this that there's a sort of growing appetite amongst Tory backbenchers to try and oust Boris as Foreign Secretary. Do you think he's going to last much longer? I don't know. I think a lot of them are really angry. Ken Clark did an interview before the PM speech yesterday saying, you know, basically he's got very, very little support now for any leadership bid he might make in within the parliamentary um, mm. party and also within the membership, he reckons. Ken Clark put it that he's got a few, I think it was Eurosceptic headbangers who are like his fanatical followers. But aside from that, he's yeah. just making him, he's just damaging himself now, I think. He's a caricature um, now, isn't he? He's a, he's he a, is, yeah. No, nobody's himself. taking him I seriously. I think the MPs that criticised him over that Libya comment, it wasn't, it was more than just the ones you expect to. I mm. think Philip Lee is a justice minister. Is that right? I think he said that, you know, condemned it. So you're starting to get more than the, the, the obvious. Well, the, well, Anna Subri and yeah, like Anna, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a, it, it is, let's be honest, he hasn't got a huge amount of support, particularly amongst the post-2015 MPs. Um, he's, his big mistake, Boris, was not whining and dining those guys, not putting in the, the hours, the glad-handing you need let alone the 2017 intake but don't forget more than half the Tory party now is made up of 2015 and 2017 intakes and um, Boris's big problem I think is, is not just the lack of numbers but now the sort of waning of support even amongst those who are on his side I have talked to, let's be honest I've talked to prominent Brexiteers in the last 24 hours who say look you know we can't write off Boris let's not be daft because they think actually He's made a good case in being the People's Tribune on on Brexit and keeping Brexit honest. But even they say, look, it can't be him. And also, someone who knows Boris really, really well, I talked to earlier this week, said, everyone forgets that with Boris there is no leadership strategy. There's a vague burning ambition to be Prime Minister one day, but there's no strategy. And that's why you shouldn't overinterpret his Sun article, his Telegraph article as being about leadership. It's really, it is genuinely about Brexit and him insisting that actually Brexit should be a proper Brexit. Do you think like prior to, aside from the 2015-2017 intakes, do you think he kind of missed out on his chance to glad hand people because he went straight into being mayor? Well, he kind of focused on that and... But even when he was mayor, he was mayor of London. He was not. He was just over the river. He could mm. have actually come over. He yeah. did a couple of dinners, but people were underwhelmed. They didn't think he was that engaged. Mm. And it didn't really take off. So the team around him actually failed with their engagement process with the Parliamentary Tory party. And talking of numbers, the, the thing that actually is interesting about Theresa May's position is, you know, don't forget, in that leadership race... She started off with 165 MPs on the first ballot. She went up to 199 MPs on the, on the second ballot. It was like a, like a landslide. And Boris was kind of nowhere. But what's happened well, since... Yeah, didn't enter. <laughs> but what, what's happened since then is that May has totally trashed that relationship with the Parliamentary Party by having this presidential campaign, not including the Cabinet, let alone MPs properly in the campaign. Saying it was all about me, not about them. And I think that's why long term and even medium term she's really in trouble because she's back to position that everyone used to say about Theresa May before she became leader which is there's about six maybe eight MPs who are really really loyal to her and that that sheer fact is going to be prominent in the next few weeks I think the thing with Boris is that I think he views his life as a kind of great political autobiography that he's living out and he sees himself sort of Churchill-esque that you know he's going to enter his sort of gathering storm years and then you know, the nation, Grateful Nation will come and put me into number 10. So I agree that he doesn't really think of a strategy because I think he believes in the kind of inevitability of his great persona. And, but, you know, actually he's, he's, he's sort of less like Winston Churchill and more like Lord Randolph Churchill who resigned after four months as Chancellor without even delivering his budget <laughs> in a strop. So yeah, I think he's much more like that than... Uh, 
than Winston. Anyway. And don't forget, I think Theresa May, the, the other thing that's uh, curious about politics right now is how similar she is to Jeremy Corbyn's position, which is the MPs are moving against her, but the party members were on her side this mm. week. And, you know, that helped Corbyn massively in the long term. Will it help her? Uh, the Tory conference was was resplendent with fringe events, and not all of them featured Jacob Rees-Mogg. HuffPost UK played host to two, with Paul kicking off the conference with an interview with Work and Pensions Secretary David Gork. Here he is on whether or not he'd like to one day be Prime Minister. To be honest, there are huge you know, qualities that you and attributes that you need to be Prime Minister. I think I'm probably missing several of them, but one of which is a you know, really strong desire to do the job. And uh, I look at the way that Theresa, for example, you know, has, you know, the general election result was, was not what we wanted, and yet she's shown you know, tremendous toughness to kind of come through that and stick at it. Uh, and that's a degree of resilience. When I look at her, and I have to say, you know, I question whether I would have uh, that resilience in those circumstances. So, uh, but in different circumstances, would you rule it out? Well, I think it's. it's I think it's always a, 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 a tough job. I, 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 you know, I'm I'm not someone who's ever sort of particularly wanted to do that job. Uh, so, um, yeah, I would. Uh, but if I a think, grateful nation called, <laughs> yeah, 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 if you know, friends and families, so, you know, all, I, look, I don't. I, to be honest, I don't. I don't think uh, a grateful nation is necessarily looking will ever look in my direction, but one of, I'm really not sure that I would ever want to do it. I mean, I've got you know, a pretty young family and, uh, as I say, the commitment and resilience that you need to do this job is one that I think is pretty daunting. Um, so it doesn't, yeah. Would I, you like to be Chancellor one day? That, maybe one day, actually, to be honest, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe one day I would like to do that. I've spent seven years within the Treasury, seven really interesting and enjoyable, uh, mostly enjoyable uh, years there. Um, I think, you know, I'm a work very closely with Philip. I think he's a, an excellent Chancellor of the Exchequer and just what we uh, want. But, you know, in a, years down the line when, you know, the family are a bit older, then, yeah, maybe one day I would like to do that. And one man who has made no secret of his desire to be PM is James Cleverley, who emerged as something of a darling of the party in recent weeks. I sat down with him for a wind-ranging discussion, which you can hear as a separate podcast. But here is a clip of me subjecting him to one of my infamous quizzes. I described your Twitter game as being on point earlier on to James Cleverley. So I'm going to read out some tweets, and I want you to tell me, if I want the audience to tell me, if these are tweets from James Cleverley or Richard Maidley. Because it kind of rhymes cleverly and maidly. Okay? Yeah? With me on this? My worry is I'm not, I'm not even sure I'll get all these. Oh, here we go. Let's go. So is this James Cleverly or Richard Maidley? <clears throat> Sausage casserole on the oven and X Factor on the telly box. Was that Richard Maidley? Hands up for Maidley. Hands up for Cleverly. It was James Cleverly on the second. <laughs> I was about to say, I know this one, it wasn't me. What was that me? Okay, here we go, here we go. You've never had broccoli jam. (laughs) You've never had broccoli jam. Is that uh, James Cleverley? Yeah, it sounds like James. Or was that Richard Maybe? Richard Maybe. James? It was you in a tweet. (laughs) 
to Sally Burko on t- in the 12th of January 2012. I went way back, mate. Don't worry about that. Broccoli jam is a euphemism. Yeah. Filthy. <laughs> well, which kid? You like this one, then? There seem to be a hundred different ways to poach an egg, judging by all the tweets of the last ten minutes. Great stuff. Is that Richard Maidley? Who thinks Richard Maidley? Yeah, who thinks James Feverley? No, that was Richard Maidley. Thank God for that. Whatever you may have read about Meryl Streep as Thatcher, trust me, it won't have done her justice. For once, I don't have the words. James. James. Did you do that? So. No, that was Richard Maiden. <laughs> uh, finally, have to pause the discussion now. I have a leaky toilet system that needs fixing. <laughs> that was you, James, <laughs> to uh, stop City Airport. Oh, God, yeah. You so were getting in an argument again, weren't you? He's, he's eager. He's keen and eager. And... Um, yeah, I, re- I remember thinking, there's two things I could do. I could continue this discussion with this guy, or I could fix a toilet. <laughs> it wasn't even and close. To tweet about it, yeah, it wasn't even close call. This is, one, this, is my, this is by you, this is one of my favourites. You sent this on Christmas Day, 2011. So you're asking a great day. Just listen to the little mixed version of Cannonball, sad face. Is it X Factor's mission to crucify every great ballad in music history? <laughs> I stand by that. There's a lot of I absolutely. So that was uh, cleverly or maidenly. Cleverly, mate. You like that, didn't you? I would have liked it more if there was a theme tune. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Jacob Rees-Mogg seemed to be every fringe going, but despite huge turnouts to his events, not everyone was pleased to see him. Here is a protester confronting the mogster. It's very important to have out. a discussion. I'm not Asking sure. Asking What would you like? Asking a question. What would, uh, all right. What would you like to and ask me? Disgusting views okay. that are welcome here. What would you so like to ask me about? Here. What do you disagree with me about? With everything you have to say. Mention something specific. Rights, okay. Women's rights. You don't. Okay. Austerity. So, everything. Okay, but You're specifically. Well, that's, we may disagree on things, but just because you disagree with somebody, it doesn't make them a bad person. The two are separate. Things you are saying are harming people's lives. There are people who are dying because of the things that you are advocating. Now, Kate, you were at that fringe. It seemed mm. like Jacob handled it pretty well, but I thought the protest was quite good as well. He sort of yeah, yeah, cited yeah, a few no, things. They like, were. No. Um, yeah, uh, Reese Mogg was very sort of calm. Um, he just sort of kind of walked down off the stage and, and spoke to them. And to be fair, you know, they were raising legitimate concerns, you know, about food banks and about his views on abortion and things. Um, and I think the response from the crowd was quite, um, it was a little bit hairy at one stage. There was one guy who um, who squared up to one of the protesters, like an old guy, a member. <laughs> um, and I could hear some like young sort of suited and booted, obviously, Tories <laughs> behind me going, oh, if if this kicks off, if, if he goes for him, I'm going in, I'm going in. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> not my bowler hat. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, on the whole, um, it was quite a spectacle but he did deal with it well. And I think, on some level, I think he quite enjoys it. It and was kind of, he was like, th- he was quite a big sideshow, wasn't he? He has point. actually, he, he attracted lots of people, mm. young and old. But fainted at one of the fringes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was in yeah. one, I w- it was quite a small room, it was packed out, there was police outside as well, and it was so hot that a woman just collapsed, because um, it was just really, really, actually, interestingly, in that fringe with Jacob Rees-Mogg, watching was David Davis, 
um, Steve Baker, Brexit uh, minister, um, Bill Cash, kind of the Brexit really? wow. big wig with the backbenches, who was not finding the heat easy to deal with because he's not a young man. Um, Stuart Jackson, David Davis, chief of staff, was there. It was rammed with the the Brexiteers watching Jacob Rees-Mogg talk, which I thought was interesting. Well, he's mm. a bit like Boris, isn't he? In, within the party, he's seen as someone who's going to keep Brexit honest. And um, the, the the other point though about Jacob Rees-Mogg is that you know he put his finger on it in another fringe. I think the, you were at this Ned as well, mm. where he where he said, "Look, the party's too much like North Korea right now." You know, there was a lot of talk last week. Tories were slagging off Labour for its. Failure to have a debate about Brexit. Failure to have a vote on Brexit. Was there a debate on Brexit this week at the Tory conference? No. Was there a vote? No No way would there ever be a vote. And Rees-Mogg made a really yeah. good point, which and is the reason you're not being able to attract young members is because they, they don't have a role. They don't have a direct say in who's being leader. The MPs keep them out of it. They certainly don't have a role in, in, in policy. They're supposed to have a role in policy, but they're often ignored. And you've got to say yeah. that if the Tories long-term want to get the youth vote, that's one of the ways they're going to do it. And I know this, this has been said before, and it can be overdone, but there's a lot of similarities between the, the, with Jeremy Corbyn. Now, mm. um, events and, that, and Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg yeah. yeah, events that are packed out um, with younger people, proper so, like fan, yeah, fan like, boys who are fanboys of of this politician, who's a politician talking about how the members need control of the party. Members don't have enough influence over conference, over the leadership, over MPs. It's the same rhetoric from, from the right, if not the left, but it's really, really similar. I'm not saying that means he's going to be the next leader, <laughs> but, the, but the approach he's talking about is exactly the same I saw in that 2015 leadership campaign and the 2016 one as well. That's interesting. And also he, he like Corbyn, harks back to a glorious past. Right? Yeah. Corbyn yeah. harks back to sort of 1945, yeah. Jacob Rees maybe 1845, but yeah. <laughs> there is still that kind of nostalgic vision they're not neither them particularly you know forward-thinking guys in many yeah. ways you know but so, you know it completely yeah and i think um interestingly what jacob is himself said was one of the reasons he thinks corbyn is successful is that he's articulating kind of a an ideology a set of beliefs which policies you, you know what his policies on issues are going to be they're not just randomly picked out and he says that's what the tories need to do as well we need a, a, a kind of set of beliefs that are our policies come from and he made the argument that when you went through the manifesto you didn't quite know when you turned the page what it was going to say so you turned to you know education you weren't sure what that policy would be whereas with labors you would you'd understand the thread that ran through them all that's an interesting point and that's a point that was often said about uh, my old mate nigel Fraud was that even before you asked him an opinion on yeah. the policy you kind of knew what it would be exactly. you mm. kind of know what his, what his well clarity was. is really yeah. really important in politics let's be honest mm. but then again I mean I know it's in vogue right now clarity is one thing but as Ned was implying the vogue is for either extremes of the political spectrum so either you have sort of you know a full on free market or you have lots and lots of controls over it um, but Ultimately, I suspect that the, there's a quite a chunk of people who do think somewhere in the middle is okay. So, if whoever replaces May will have to do some sort of statism uh, intervention of broken markets, and whoever, whether it's Jeremy Corbyn or whoever, uh, is Labour leader, they're going to have something similar. So, we could end up in the same place. <laughs> so, we're just just sort of finally after this conference season. Where are we compared to where we were? We're tired. We're in this room, in this podcast room. That's where we are. Mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, what have we... What, going into it, right, we were seeing the Tories on the way down, Labour on the way up, right? That was the thing. And, and Theresa May had to give a great conference speech and all that. And I think we're... It's we're, the same, but even more. So I think Jeremy Corbyn's now doing even better, even more secure, even yeah. more momentum's behind him. And I think Theresa May is going the same direction, which is 
bad. Mm. I think they've gone in the directions they were heading before. The, the, I was just mentioning this week in a war zone, that, 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 or last night, that there are some, I talked to some Tories this, MPs this week, and they're looking at what can you compare the historically the current situation to. And the two options were pretty bad. One was 1993, when John Major had, had just won an election, or scraped home in an election, just as May has, and a huge popular vote, which didn't well, translate yeah, to that, Well, yeah. that's true. But equally, she had a very high that's vote. What I'm saying, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 40, 42%, 43% of the vote. Uh, and yet, it has a, uh, a lot of problems on her plate and possibly a sort of sense of decay. Um, or is it Gordon Brown in 2008 when he was, you know, outflanked by George Osborne the, the year before on this whole idea of an inheritance tax cut, which, God, whatever happened to that, folks? Mm. Um, you know, Gordon Brown was spooked by the idea of a Tories outbidding him on inheritance tax and there was a bunker mentality under Gordon and you know no one genuinely thought that they were going to win a big majority but they thought they might hold on so neither of those scenarios is very attractive and that's why I think coming back to the original point a, a change of personnel a new Tory leader is the thing that actually could could shift this in the next few years yeah it could but what worries me is that there's still loads and loads of anger in politics so if there's a new Tory leader and you know it's a coronation say Amber Rudd takes over and you know personally I I think she'd be quite a good bet for them but if there's then no election there there's such a huge amount of support behind Labour at the minute then it, it worries me as to what that is going to unleash really I think could I don't know maybe I'm being dramatic well, riots on the streets yeah that's what I'm thinking well on that mm. apocalyptic note Kate mm, yeah Good, good. Don't have your Chris for 20 minutes. <laughs> She's demon leave, isn't it? She's Lovely. right, though. Is she? She's right, right to warn of it. I okay. Thanks. We'll see. Is it Can't. the Cassandra thing? When you, I don't know. I'm, there's some sort of mythology. I'm out of depth. Right, I'm tired. Right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week when Parliament will be back. And uh, who knows who'll be Prime Minister? Ned? Could it be you? No. Okay, thank you. See you. Bye. Bye.